Beloved, if you have God's word, please open them to 1 Peter chapter 1. If you did not hear last week's sermon, I would encourage you to go back and listen to it. It's written, this letter by the apostle Peter, to a church who is in exile, and he is tying their hope while they're in exile to the fact that they are God's people. That's how he started his letter, that they are foreknown by God and elect by God, and therefore, uh, they have hope even while they suffer. And that's where we find ourselves uh, today. In verses 3 through 12, it's one long Greek sentence uh, that we are going to divide up in three chunks over the next three weeks. So we're just going to be dealing with verses 3 through 5 today, but there's plenty there to keep us busy. Uh, we are, are looking at what it is that Peter is reminding the church to praise God for. He's giving them a command to praise God, and then he kind of gives out a litany of why they should praise God, and that's really where we find ourselves there in verse Three, uh, the main point of this passage is quite simple. I'm going to put it up there on the screen for you to copy down or take a picture of. It's simply this. Praise be to God for he caused us to be born again, which gives us a living hope now, a heavenly inheritance in the future, and a salvation that is guarded by his power. Salvation belongs to the Lord, and I have prayed for us this week that I would be clear in this passage. I've prayed uh, that we would consider these words and that you, congregation, would be encouraged by them, strengthened by them, and finding hope within them. There's only one point today, but we're going to unpack that one point in several, several layers, and, and here's the point Praise be to God. And we find that point there in verse 3. Look with me there. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That word there, blessed, is to praise or exalt. And that's what Peter is wanting the church to do, even while they're suffering, even while they're in exile. He's saying, praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ. He, he takes an old Jewish form of praising, which is blessed be the God and Father, and then he makes it distinctly Christian, as we see here in verse 3, by saying that God and Father is the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the specific God that we praise this is the specific God that we worship, and there is no room for any other God to be praised. And so his, his argument, his, his direction is rooted right here in verse 3, in this one verb that's given in this section, to praise the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one true God, and he is identified as the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is a profound statement. If you remember back in John chapter 5, uh, the Pharisees were looking to destroy Jesus 
And one of the reasons they were looking to destroy Jesus is because Jesus calls God his father, which makes him an equal uh, to the father. And they wanted to destroy Jesus because of this. And so what we see here is a praise to the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ who is equal with Jesus Christ. And this is where he roots all of us. And then he gives us a reason why we should praise him immediately following. Look there at the second part of verse 3. It's because he provides us a new birth. Look what Peter writes. According to his great mercy, he caused us to be born again. So according to the great mercy of God the Father, of the Lord Jesus Christ, he caused the church to be born again. Sovereign grace that's given to the church provokes us and prompts us to praise God. That's what he is saying here, and beloved, the new birth that he's talking about is no less dramatic than our first birth. It's a, it's a new life that's been caused by God according to his great mercy, not according to anything that we have ever done, but according to his mercy. This idea of being born again is in several places throughout the scriptures. Uh, even going back to the Old Testament, we see in Ezekiel 36 that man in the new covenant will receive a new heart. Not a better heart, not an improved heart, a new heart. Uh, we see examples in 1 Samuel chapter 10 that uh, when the spirit rushes upon Saul before he comes king, that the spirit makes him another man. Not a better man, but another man. I have some scriptures provided for you in the New Testament where this new life or this being born again is also mentioned. And I bring these up to you only to build the defense of what it is to be born again in God. Look with me in John chapter 1 as the word is being introduced in the New Testament, verses 12 through 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So we're not born out of the will of our flesh or our desire, but out of the will of God, according to John chapter 1. John chapter 3, this conversation that we've referred to recently between Jesus and Nicodemus, Verse 3, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born who is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said this to you. You must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. To be born again, you must be born of the Spirit. 
And you must be born out of the will of God, not out of the will of the flesh. Consider, beloved, 1 John chapter 5, verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus Christ, uh, excuse me, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. Consider what he's saying in 1 John chapter 5. This belief in Christ is the evidence that someone has been born again, which is past tense. So you have been born, and then the outcome of that is your belief that Jesus is the Christ. And then here in a few weeks, we'll see in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 23 through 25. Since you have been born again, Peter writes, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like the grass, and its glory like the flower of grass. And the grass withers, and the flower falls, just like man does. But the word of the Lord remains forever. And listen to what he says. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So God causes this new birth through his word. And how does the word go forward? When it's preached, it's by the will of God, through the spirit of God, when the word is preached, that we are born again. We are not born again by our works. Uh, we are not born again by the ordinances, by being baptized, or by partaking in the Lord's Supper. We are born of the spirit, through God's word preached, and God's work that is present. So God caused us to be alive according to his great mercy. That's what it's saying here. And he says it elsewhere in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. This means you don't need to clean yourself up to be accepted by God. Do you hear that? You cannot and will not be clean enough to be accepted by God, but you must be born according to his great mercy. That's good news, right? Uh, have you ever mowed the lawn and been out there for three hours and you've come in and you're sweaty and you stink and your family doesn't want to give you a hug <laughs> until you take a shower? I'm not talking about personal testimony here. <laughs> but God doesn't work that way. He is the one that cleans us and he comes to us to do just this while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. His spirit moves upon us while we are still sinners, and he works in our lives by his great mercy. You've heard probably the example of uh, our need to be saved. It's kind of like uh, you've probably heard it said that you've been floating in the ocean, and you're in desperate need of a life raft, and Jesus throws you a life raft, and, uh, and you're supposed to grab on that life raft to be saved so a shark doesn't get you. Well, here's the reality of what the word is telling us here. You have already been eaten by a shark, and you're dead, but it's God who brings you back to life by the Spirit who moves and works. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, that though you are dead in your trespasses and sins, 
This is the death that we have all died because of sin. That shark is a metaphor for sin. But God caused us to be born again as the word was preached and our heart was made warm to the things of God. So church, praise God because he has made us alive. Is your heart grateful that God has made you alive? That there was a time in your life that you did not think about the things of God, but now you do. This is because God has moved himself upon you to do such work. You might be sitting there and asking yourself the question, well, how do you know if you're born again? How do you know if the Spirit has caused you to be born again? Well, we'll see here in a few weeks. One of the signs of new life is the desire to put away sin, uh, to, to not entangle yourself in the things of the world anymore, and to desire, as Peter puts it, the, the pure spiritual milk, which is the Word of God. And so we hear the Word of God preached, and it saves us, And then the word of God is then savored by us, that pure spiritual milk. That's a sign as to whether or not you've been born again. Are are you growing in the face? Not are you perfect, not have you overcome all your sin, but are you new? Are you new? 1 Peter 2, verse 2 tells us that we are growing up in our salvation. And longing for that milk, wanting to eat, wanting to grow. This is evidence of of new life. And and inside of this new life, this being born again that God gives us, which is the reason that we praise God, we get a few things out of it. And I want to mention three of these in the text to you today. And then we'll kind of work through the next couple weeks all of these things that are reason to praise God. But the first one is found there in verse 3. We're born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So hope is a major theme in this letter and he introduces it here. So people who are in exile, uh, he wants them to know this hope that they have, this new life that they have, being born again, comes with a living hope. Well, how is this living hope possible? Well, look what he says. It's through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead that this new life, this living hope comes. It's Christ defeating death that secures for us new life and living hope. Uh, Now, in society today, we often uh, use the word hope uh, like a a hope-filled wish that we have. Uh, Like the, I I hope the Dallas Cowboys win a playoff game. Notice I didn't even say the Super Bowl. I just said a playoff game. Uh, I, I hope this traffic alleviates so we can get to our dinner reservation. Uh, We hope things happen for us, but we cannot control the variables uh, of the life that we live in. But biblical hope is different hope. It's steeped in certainty. It's steeped in, in, in trust in God's word. It's believing in your heart with confidence as the spirit testifies to the word. 
that the expectations that God reveals in his word about future events for his church are actually true and will come to fruition. And what's it based on? The empty tomb. The fact that Christ's body is not there. The reality that he got up on his feet and he walked out and he conquered death. And this gives us living hope. And then Colossians 3 and Ephesians 2 say that we, church, are raised with Christ. This is our share with him. We're united with him by faith. And this is a living, living, uniting and shared resurrection in the victory that we have with him. Hope is a powerful incentive for pressing forward, church. It drives us. It it means that there's something ahead of us that helps us to endure what we do not enjoy right now. Uh, Knowing that there's something before us that is far better than anything that we're enduring and will outlast everything that we've experienced. It helps us to endure. This, this, This living hope suggests that it's growing hope. Year by year, we should be growing in this living hope. That's why I asked at the end of 2020, do you love Jesus more than you did at the beginning of the year? Because living hope is being fed and nourished by the word. I'm going to ask us at the end of every single year, is your hope growing in the things that you cannot see? And is your lack of hope growing or not growing in the things that you can see? Uh, This really is evidence of of a living hope that's in us. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the day before he died, he read this verse to a small group of Christians in a Nazi camp. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. This is what he read to them. And you have to know that this hope was buried in his heart the very next day when two German soldiers came and said to Bonhoeffer, come with us. And that come with us only meant one thing that he was going to die. Bonhoeffer in his prison cell leaned over to his friend and this is what he said. This is the end. For me though, this is the beginning of life. That is living hope. That is hope for our heart today. This is the already aspect of of our salvation. We actually have this planted in our hearts today, this living hope if we've been born again, Uh, knowing that uh, no matter how good or how bad it gets in this world, there is something before us that is far greater that no eye has seen nor ear has heard, and it is far greater than anything that we could ever experience in this life. Do you have living, growing hope today? If growing in hope or growing in living hope is the expected result of being born again, is hope alive in you? It's a fair question. Test yourself. Is it growing? Test yourself to see if you're in the faith. See, that's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Test yourself and see if these things are true of you. 
The second thing we see about being born again is that we are born again to an inheritance. Look there at verse 4. And that inheritance is described this way. It's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, church. Inheritance is the object of this living hope that we have through Christ Jesus. And Peter refers back to some Old Testament language here when he brings up that word inheritance. Israel was promised the land which was considered their inheritance. The promise first in Genesis 12, the inheritance of the land is referenced throughout the law in places like Numbers 32 and Deuteronomy 3 and a litany of other places. Uh, They they longed to go back to the land, back to their inheritance when they were in exile. Uh, Do you remember when they were in Babylon and Assyria and the, the, the Spirit of God began to stir their hearts to go back to the land that was promised to them? And so Peter kind of ties in this idea of inheritance here in this verse and talks about an inheritance that God's people will receive in the future. Our portion of a land that is of new creation, a new heaven and a new earth, a a future hope for us. Do you remember what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, that the meek will inherit the earth, referring to the new heavens and the new earth. Israel is an example for the church of what hoping for an inheritance looks like. Uh, Not waiting for a share in Canaan, but we're waiting for our share in the eternal glory of God and the new heavens and the new earth that are coming with him when Christ returns to this earth. This is the hope that he's rooting the church's identity in. The inheritance that we are getting as the church. He's putting us into the story of scripture. We are the community of the new covenant that gets an inheritance in the future. And it's an internal inheritance. And despite us being exiles, beloved, we are sprinkled by the blood of Christ, which is the blood of the new covenant. And that's why we can read Ephesians 1 that says, Christ is our guarantee until we acquire possession of it. It's before us. And see how he describes this inheritance. It's it's incredible. It's imperishable, undefiled, unfading. That means imperishable. It means it cannot be destroyed. It's indestructible. Uh, Think about Canaan and, and Jerusalem in particular. It was destroyed throughout Israel's history. But the inheritance that we're getting, it cannot be destroyed. It cannot die. No enemy can scale the city's walls. This word in scripture uh, for imperishable only refers to heavenly things. It never refers to earthly things. It's impossible for the enemy to overcome it. It's undefiled. It means it's clean. It's perfectly pure, unstained by sin. Not like how Israel defiled the land, their inheritance, with idolatry. But the inheritance we get is of pure worship in the heavenly temple. It's the people of God worshiping God forever, as he's going to get to later in the letter. He also says it's unfading, which means there's no effects of sin in the inheritance that we are getting. Uh, The word fading is from the family of words for sin. But this is unfading. 
Sin makes things fade away. Remember like Ecclesiastes talked about how we're going to fade away into the dust? But this inheritance never fades away. It never goes away. There is no decay. There is no moth or rust that can touch it like Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 6. It's preserved in heaven for you, beloved, if you're born again of the Spirit. It's yours. Now check out the security he tightens down on in talking about this inheritance. He says it's kept in heaven for you. Uh, This uh, inheritance is living ahead of us. This is the not yet portion of our salvation. So those of us who are born of the Spirit have this living hope now for an inheritance that we have not yet received. But it's kept in heaven for us. Kept is a, a passive participle. And it modifies the noun inheritance. And this is what that means. It means that your inheritance is already secure. It's already signed, sealed, and delivered. It was completed in the past. There's no way anybody or anything can ever get to it. And it's yours. It's guarded for you. And it's shielded by you. Notice that he says, in heaven for you, kept in heaven for you. He's telling this church that's suffering, I know that you're suffering right now, but your inheritance is kept and there's nothing that can get to it. And it's already done. You know, we've been driving all day and you've made a reservation at a hotel and by night you finally get to it. There's still a, a little bit of a nerve-wracking moment when you get to the counter. It's like, this is my reservation, do you have it? Right? Do you know what I'm saying? Like a little bit of a, did everything get confirmed? Well, here in heaven with this inheritance, it is certain. That's not the case in heaven. Those who have new life have their names written in the Lamb's book of life. Revelation 13, and this was done before the foundation of the world. He also talks about in Revelation 21, and there is no eraser on that eternal ink. There's nothing that uh, can take it away, and it should bring encouragement to our hearts. Uh, Beloved, do you think about this fact? That there's an eternal inheritance kept in heaven for you while you live on this earth? Because if you do think about it, I promise you, your vexations will burn off. I I promise you, your fears will fade when you consider the unfading promises of God and the unfading inheritance that's waiting up for you. This is Peter's intention for the church as he's writing to them in their suffering. He wants them to hold on to the truth that it's kept in heaven for them. So, beloved, my heart is that you would receive these words as exiles as we await that you would hold on to this truth. This isn't the Oklahoma land rush, right? Where everybody runs out and just tries to stake their claim by moving a flag and putting their flag in. The land has your name on it. Not because of anything that you've ever done, because of everything that Christ Christ Jesus has done for you. Because the Spirit of God has been working on your heart, he's opened your mind, and he's given you new life to see these things. 
given you a living hope and he's given you an inheritance that you can enjoy. And, and, and this, this, this hope that we have, it's laid up for us. Paul even says in Colossians 1, it, the faith that we have in God, the love that we have for one another is based on the hope that's laid up for us in heaven. It, it, it should instigate us to worship God and love his church and love those who do not have the gospel. And then finally, another wonderful aspect of being born again is that you have a, a salvation that's being guarded by God. Look with me there in verse 5. He says, who by God's power, who, meaning those born again, by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So the saints that are born again, who are, have a living hope and who are awaiting an imperishable inheritance, check this out, are being guarded by God's power for a salvation that you will one day inherit and the means by that guarding is through faith. So God is, has kept you an inheritance for you to receive and now he's guarding this inheritance, this future salvation by his own power. It's quite remarkable. This is another participle that he brings up here but it's a present participle. It's being guarded. So God has kept your inheritance. It's locked and he's still guarding your salvation, this inheritance, actively, presently. That means he's guarding you from falling away from the faith. He's guarding you right now that from, 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 from any sort of falling away. He, he's making sure that your inheritance cannot be scaled or conquered actively right now. And beloved, there is no power like God's power. There is no storm that you have ever seen that rivals the power of God. He holds storms in the palm of his hand. There is no man who has great strength that wouldn't disintegrate before standing in front of God. The, the God who keeps us and our salvation secure is guarding it, as the word says, by his power. And how does he do this? He does this through faith. So we've received this mercy. That's a gift from God. And then we see in Ephesians 2 that even the faith that we have to believe in this gift is a gift from God so that no man may boast. So everything that God has given us for this salvation, he has supplied us with and he's it's been according to his mercy and he's given us a a, a new birth with a, a living hope an inheritance that we will receive and he's guarding us in it through faith right now so that we will reach the point where we will inherit all that he has promised when we say salvation belongs to the lord this is what we mean here in 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. It's all his. So remember the power of God. You, you might be sitting there today going, Blair, you have no idea what's going on in my life. You don't know how much I'm struggling. You, you don't know how inconsistent my faith is. 
you don't realize the pain that I'm enduring right now is too much. I feel like in life I cannot go on. Is that anybody in this room today? To some extent that's true. You cannot endure by yourself. You cannot conquer the things that you're experiencing in this life, but I hope you find great hope in this passage because God is guarding your salvation right now. A salvation that you will one day, you will one day inherit in full. We have been justified by grace through faith, but the salvation that will be presented to us on that day is the full redemption of everything that we will inherit. A new heaven, a new earth, a new king that we will see with our eyes. We will be brought out of this world and into another world, and we will live together with him forever. And it's being guarded for you right now. What a great encouragement. Isn't that what we ultimately want is to feel safe? To feel like we're cared for and loved? Well, he's proving here yet again that he will keep us and we are safe and he will make sure that we will receive all that he has promised to us. The very reason you have been born again is to inherit all the promises of God so that you will be his people forever. Beloved, doesn't mean that he guards us uh, from every form of suffering or, or death or sickness or affliction or possibly even martyrdom. Uh, we will go through things in this life, and that's the whole point of him writing to this church. We in this church will more than likely suffer some sort of persecution because of the name of Jesus in this life. His word doesn't talk about not experiencing that. His word talks about how he's guarding for us through faith and inheritance, a salvation that's ours. He, he protects us from not losing the faith. And he does this according to his great mercy. And this is reason, is it not to praise God? This is why we come together and sing. This is why we, we pray, we, why we share the faith. We praise God for these things because he's actively doing these things. And this is the case for those who have been born again in Jesus here is the reality. If you are not born again, if you have not turned, then the, act the opposite is actually true for you today. You are not safe. Uh, these promises that we're talking about, these hopes that we're talking about, this living hope you do not have, this inheritance is not yet yours. But the word says that when we preach the word, it's living and active. It can actually open up our minds and open up our understanding to see things that perhaps we've never seen before. And maybe that's you today. And I would encourage you to turn from sin and turn to Christ and be saved. And all these promises that God gives us through Jesus Christ are yours immediately. This is made possible because of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the imperishable, undefiled, unfading one. And if we put on Christ, then we receive an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading. He died, he raised, and he conquered death. And those who by faith believe this, 
Listen to the promises that is yours in 1 Corinthians 13, 53. For this perishable body must put on a perishable, or excuse me, an imperishable one. And this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But verse 57, listen to this, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Born again, if you believe this, turn from your sin and believe. So beloved, in closing, we praise God according to his mercy that caused us a new birth. And this new birth provides us today actual living hope. A living hope in the inheritance that is ours in the future. And be encouraged that he's guarding all of it today actively through the faith that he has given to you for the sake of his name. Grace calls us. We see this in Galatians 1. The grace of God regenerates us, Titus 2, 3, or excuse me, Titus 3, 5. The grace of God justifies us by the blood of Christ, Romans 3, 24. Uh, uh, grace sanctifies us. We see this in Hebrews 13. And here, the grace of God secures us. Secures us. Beloved, I would encourage you to remember the phrase, kept by God, guarded by God. Uh, When you're going through affliction, when you're going through things in your life that are difficult, you are guarded and kept by God, as this verse says. Uh, When you're on your deathbed one day, would you remember the phrase, kept by God, secure by him? Uh, bury this verse three through five in your heart. If you're looking for a life verse, this is a good one. Stitch it in by the work of the Spirit. Uh, All of us in this room should memorize this verse. We, We should remind each other of the truth of this verse every single day. Make it your verse. Cling to it. Just a few quick takeaways in our final minutes. All that we've preached today, all that has been preached through his word is reason to praise God from whom all blessings flow. So praise God today. When we sing here in closing in just a moment, we're singing the song, He Will Hold Me Fast. That's intentional. It's to to push the word deeper into our hearts, that beloved church, he will actually hold you fast. So praise his name. Number two, remember this, those born of God are actually adopted into his family. We're not just the people of God, we are the family of God. Those of us who have received the spirit of God, who have been awakened in our lives to this new birth, this new life, you know how you know you're alive today because you're breathing and you're experiencing things? This new birth comes with new experiences. 
Uh, we, we have new affections. All of a sudden, we don't want the things we, we used to want. We want these things now. And we see the Spirit produce new affections for us. We, we want to walk by faith and not by sight. We want to be faithful to the things that God commands. And we see this in Romans 8, 5, that because we've been born of the Spirit, we are adopted as his own children. That's why we get to inherit the land, because we're his children. Just like a, a father and a mother gives their property to a child when they pass, God has given us an inheritance. And then finally, those who have been made new, I want us to remember this. We will enjoy the new creation that God is bringing with him when Christ returns. This is our inheritance. And you will endure because God says you will endure. And you will receive all that is yours. Go read Revelation 21 and 22 and see what you will endure, or excuse me, what you will receive when Christ comes back. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today thankful for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thankful that you have caused us to be born again. According to your great mercy, Father, mercy is not something that we deserve to receive. But you have given it to us in Christ's name. And that comes with living hope. Would you fill our hope today, God? Would you make it living and active? It comes with an inheritance. Oh, Father, would you allow us to look upon what we will receive as your people one day so that we can endure all the afflictions today? And God, would you remind us that you are guarding this by faith, the faith that you have given to us. And so we can rest in your work today to the praise of your glorious grace. In Christ we pray, amen.